Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Hi, I'm Hannah Blankenship, TALT's Stewardship Manager. Each conservation easement at TALT is tailored to meet each individual landowner's unique wishes. This may be to utilize the property for farming or livestock production, or to delineate a specific area for future building. I work to ensure these requests are upheld through annual monitoring. It is important to have support from individuals like you to continue our work here at TALT. If you haven't already, please donate to us today at www.txaglandtrust.org support. Well, welcome everyone to uh, Beyond the Fence Line, our episode 19, uh, kind of a hot topic, uh, pun intended. Uh, we're going to be talking about the drought and uh, how do you know, the, the things, the pressures that we face on a daily basis, uh, you know, are, as land managers. Um, I got my, my dear friend and brother in Christ, Hugh Aljo, uh, with the Noble Research Institute. He's the Director of Producer Relations and uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Chase Curry with the San Pedro Ranch down in uh, Maverick and Dimmitt County. So Chase, Hugh, I appreciate you guys joining us. Yeah, I know, looking, looking forward to the opportunity, Chad, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And you, you, your, your topic's pretty timely as we're all looking at these drought monitors and trying to plan for it. And, and as Chase was talking just a little bit earlier, he, he's been experiencing it much longer than, than uh, probably we have in this proximity, but it's uh, an important topic. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we think about this podcast, it's about sharing information and knowledge and perspectives. And I think this is a great one. That there's a lot of tactics and a lot of ways to look at drought and, and how we manage through it and, and how do we manage before the drought, right? I mean, we're always should be looking at it ahead. So you know, I'd say, I mean, let's really kind of start staging this talk about where we are today, you know, and I, I printed off um, kind of the drought monitor, kind of looking at it right, right now. And, um, you know, we're looking at kind of in the south of Oklahoma, Texas, we're 15% in extreme drought, uh, pushing 50% in severe drought. Um, you know, Hugh, when I look in Oklahoma, I mean, you're, you're, you're probably pushing 70% in the extreme drought right now. Um, you know, we saw the, also the hottest December in record more than 130 years this past year. Um, recently, Governor Abbott has issued a disaster declaration for more than 50 counties in response to these dry conditions. And I really wanna open up our discussion really about talking about the conditions each of you are seeing locally. Um, you know, Chase, let's start with you down in uh, South Texas and kind of what you're seeing. Yeah, so we've we've been a little unfortunate, if you will. You know, drought is part of our environment down here. And historically, we, we plan for that and we manage for that. But since January of 2018, it has been exacerbated even more than it has been historically. And we we've had... Um, 
very little rainfall, or consi- I should say consistent rainfall. And what we've been dealing with is these long extended periods of drought interrupted by what, what we call, you know, pulses of moisture. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. In 2018, we went from January 1 to August 10th um, with less than three inches of rain. And then we got um, nearly 12 inches of rain over about a 60 day period. But then after that, starting about November 2nd or 3rd right there, we went November 2nd of 2018 all the way through May of 2019 with just over two inches. And so it, uh, <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it's, it's very extreme. It's a bit difficult to plan for. And, and that has been our weather pattern, to be honest with you, since, since January of 18 up through up through now and one of the one of the I guess you know biggest problems that we've been facing is historically here in our part of the world you know southwestern Dimmick County and and southeastern Maverick County there is historically we have our our wettest 60 day stretch is September and October Um, you go back through all the historical records and that's historically that's your wettest 60 days for our part of the world well we, in 2018, we saw that pulse of moisture. However, in 19, 20, and 21, we did not. And actually 19, 20, and 21 were three of the six driest falls in this, in Southwestern Dimmick County since 1931. So we've had three falls now um, that have been extremely dry. And actually 2021, um, that stretch from September through December was the driest on record. And so it's been a bit difficult for us because we, we historically we have planned for that pulse of moisture, if you will, to stockpile forage. Um, it's important for a lot from a, a lot of different reasons um, ecologically. But, you know, we get this part of the world gets a um, a pretty big flush of, of cool season annuals, what, what most refer to as winter weeds, which are extremely important in our part of the world. And then also it tends to set the table for the following spring. Um, you know, we have not experienced a, what some refer to as a wild wildflower spring in several years. And so long story short, we've been um, a bit unfortunate, been ranching in what some would call a rain shadow. Um, now the upside to this is we've the drought has forced our hand, and we can discuss this in more detail here in a bit to make some changes within our management um, so that we can be better prepared moving forward. And, and to be honest with you, these are changes we you know should have made years ago, but the drought forced our hand. So in a sense, it, it's been a blessing in disguise if if you can look at it that way. Yeah, definitely bittersweet, in in a way. And sometimes those, like you said, kind of pressures pulled on us we you know that's where we're where we dig down and really do our planning you know I've, you know I remember you know Hugh and I've known each other a lot of times and and uh, Hugh maybe I'd like for you to kind of maybe talk about the back in the 80s when you were ranching you know outside college station right and you had sort of the other way where like you always say you know back in that time period everybody looked good you know knew how to ranch yeah, I, I started ranching there in, uh, in 1985, you know, and that was about that time when uh, people were asking, are we in a new normal? And in parts of the, you know, the, the 
south and you know the, the southwest United States had received above average rainfall for just about a decade. And I know in my experience on the 10 years I was at the ranch, I only had one year that was average and every one of all the others were above. So you can imagine even a guy, a green, a green hand coming out of college can look really smart. And I looked really smart <laughs> for about 10 years. And that's when I left. So maybe that was part <laughs> well, of the reason. That's that's right. the, yeah, showed you how so smart you were. You left at the right time. Right? I left at the right time. Maybe so. But I'll tell you what, you you know, you you find out who really knows how to manage is when you, when you get into those dry conditions. And, uh, you know, rain, moisture covers up a lot of sins. And and back to what Chase was talking about, uh, you know, when you really begin to face some of the trials that, that are going to come in our, you know, in these rainfall patterns that we're seeing here lately, uh, making good decisions right up front and beginning to have some a good pasture man management plan, well outlined along with some contingency plans, uh, uh, really help some of these operations be, be a lot more resilient than they would be otherwise. So, so let me. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good. Yeah, go oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chase. No, I, I was going to say I, I think Hugh makes a really good point there, and the fact that what we're seeing here and the changes that we've made, we feel um, our results you know, from a range management standpoint will become exponential over time. And what I mean by that is we will be better prepared for the next drought. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that's one to drive home and the fact that, you know, it's the more you can prepare and the more you learn how to prepare um, for these droughts, the, the, um, the more sustainable you are over the long term. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. You, what, I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, you're talking to producers every day on a daily basis. Um, you know, just looking at this drought map, looks like uh, Noble's ranches are right in the mix of a pretty drought right now as well. And what are you seeing? Well, you know, I've, you know, we track the moisture here on a kind of a water year as well as the kind of the, the history before. So, you know, looking back, even though last year we only received, you know, 80 to 85 percent of our annual moisture. And in that course of that water year, you know, we're, we're, we were behind. But rains came timely to, to, to a lot of our ranches. So we didn't really uh, feel the effect until it cut off in September. And sure. since then, we, we are about 75 percent below where we should be. So if Chase and them don't get the rains in the fall, we don't get the fall rainfall. And, and even though we have a bimodal uh, moisture pattern, uh, typically we, we expect pretty good rains in April, May, or June. Uh, this year it was uh, April. And then we had a couple of good rains through, through the growing season up until August, but we haven't received anything in, in, in the fall. So we've got producers that uh, uh, you know had calves going to go out on winter pasture, and there is no winter pasture or very little of it. So they're 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 really beginning to take stock of what they have or don't have, beginning to ask those questions: How much longer is this going? In uh, our grass reserves are depleting pretty rapidly. You know, fortunately, you know, on the other hand, it's been dry, so even the Bermuda grass has held up pretty good. Uh, so, you, you know, but they know that there's a there's a time frame. They've got to be thinking about how that spring is going to affect us. And if we don't have some spring moistures, how are we going to uh, change our stocking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's all great points. You know, we've been here before, right? I mean, yeah. 
and I want to kind of dive, you know, in maybe a little bit of, you know, maybe another layer of what you and Chase have already talked about. You know, you know, we experienced it. It it doesn't seem like it was ten years ago, but you know, 2011, mm-hmm. ten. That was back back at my place there, north of Brady. Some of the worst drought we'd ever seen and had to deal with. You know, what, what are you seeing? What are you looking at? I know both of you are always kind of constantly looking at the weather and the drought monitoring, you know, where you feel like we're heading to into another 11 or what are your thoughts? Chase, go ahead. Well, we've been, we've been in, in, in an 11 now for four years. So it's been, um, we're there, but you know, one thing that we noticed is, and I'm sure you all have noticed this as well, and more and more folks are discussing this, is we get these extreme, you know, swings in weather. And so, you know, historically here, we've had May, June, September, October. Those are our two big um, rainfall periods, if you will. And then, you know, historically, we get some rain scattered out through the year. But, you know, for instance, this past year, we were extremely dry from January through the middle to latter part of May. We got some moisture in the latter part of May and June. And then we actually had a wet July, early August. So our last rainfall event, measurable rainfall event that we've had here at, at the ranch. Um, and we have 14 rain gauges scattered across the ranch. The last measurable rainfall event we had was August the 5th, 2021. So I don't know exactly what that is, 160 plus days since we've had a measurable rainfall event. But fortunately for us this year, we had a an abnormally wet summer and we had a mild summer. And so we were able to grow a lot of vegetation, um, you know, this summer, which historically we don't do. You know, it, it turns off very hot and very dry. It's not uncommon for us to see. Daytime temps over 110, uh, soil, temper, soil temperature on bare ground gets up to 150, 60 degrees. And so it it's, can be a fairly inhospitable environment to grow vegetation. And, you know, I always tell folks in most years, we can be dormant. We can be very dormant, actually, the latter part of June, July and August. Um, and what I mean by that is we our, our vegetation can be dormant. And so it's... To, to us, it's, it's, you know, we've had to make a transition to learn how to manage for these pulses, what we call pulses of moisture. And they can happen at any time is what we're, we're finding out over the past four or five years. And so we've just been trying to, we made some significant changes in our grazing program. And by doing that, we've been able to stockpile forage um, much more rapidly than we had in the past. And in turn, we can capitalize on those pulses of moisture. And for us in most years, you know, we're, we're obviously different than where Hugh is there in Oklahoma. We can grow vegetation 11 months out of the year. And so, um, you know, we do have that going for us. And so timing is not as critical for us as it is for, you know, folks to our north, but it's just, we're learning that we need to prepare the land and be ready for it to rain at any time because it's the rainfall patterns 
seem to be much more extreme, um, more stochastic in nature, more random. And so that's been what we have found, it, it, at least in our environment. And we have been a bit unfortunate. Um, I hate to use that word, but in regards to we've been, there's a very small pocket and you can see it on the drought map actually um, in South Texas that is an extreme drought and that's southwest Dimmit, southeast maverick counties and for whatever reason the way the rainfall patterns have have laid out over the past couple of years there's been a dry pocket here but but nonetheless it's been more extreme weather um, you know long extended periods of drought interrupted by a pulse of moisture uh, that pulse of moisture could could be over 30 days or it could be over 90 days and then you, you may go eight months without another measurable rainfall event and so that's what we are trying to to manage for um so and chase scott i mean i'm curious you know how are you thinking through it because i mean this is very interesting to me from thinking from a pulse perspective um you're receiving rain like you said from you know maybe 30 days maybe at 90 days and it seems like when you do receive it it's, it's you know maybe a substantial amount of rain right in a short time is that causing issues from a management, right? So it's like dry, dry, dry. And then all of a sudden you've, you're not just turning on the faucet. I mean, you're a full blast on the faucet for a bit and then you're turning it off again. Yeah, so it, it has, and we've been, you know, we were in, we were in rough shape two years ago at this time and really ramped up and made some significant changes in our grazing program. And now we have more ground cover throughout. Um, we're resting every acre on the ranch longer. And in our, we, we're a very, very brittle environment. And right. so for us, it's all about, we, we want the animal impact. And that's something we weren't necessarily getting across the landscape as well as we are now. There was actually forage that was being underutilized, but then there was also pasture portions of the pasture that were being overutilized or overgrazed right. if you will right. um and so you know we, we went to we went to smaller paddocks a lot more paddocks and what we've done is we're, we're we're now allowing some of these pastures to rest for 300 well i say pastures they're more paddocks but we're we're now getting 350 plus days of rest on some of these now like we're in the main cow herd right now is just came out of a block or a paddock that rested for 362 days. So we almost got a full year's rest on those particular acres. And so I know that may seem like a lot to some, but in our case, because it's such a brutal environment, you know, and, and the more rest we can provide on a per acre basis, the more chance we are, we are basically, it's all about time. We're increasing our chances to receive rainfall at some point when those acres are arrested. Uh, it makes total sense to me, Chase. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when we think about it being intentional in our management, rest is a tool in the toolbox and it's, a, it's probably the misunderstood tool, <laughs> um, you know, across the landscape. Um, you know, Hugh, you know, I've really heard you say this uh, many, many times, say uh, before that, the time to start planning for drought is when it's raining and the time to start planning for rain is during the drought. And it's sort of what Chase is talking about. Can you, can you explain, you know, a little bit more from your view? 
Yeah, I, I can. And, and it's back to uh, exactly what Chase was talking about is that, you know, we've got to be able to set up our pastures to receive the rain. And the key thing on that is making sure we have something there uh, to, to uh, interrupt the, the rainfall when it, when it does come. Uh, you know, we, we got to, you know, we also, you know, say quite often, you know, it takes rain to grow grass, but it takes grass to grow grass and it takes grass and grass residual in order to absorb the rain so they can infiltrate. And that, that and if we graze everything off, the water's gonna run off. So the more rest recovery, the more residual that we can uh, actively manage for, the more water we're gonna actually be, begin to infiltrate. You know, along that same line is being able to grow more forage, even if you can't utilize it or don't need to utilize it for an extended periods of time uh, in the environment that, that Chase is in, it'll store for for a long period of time time and have great feed value up in our, our part where we get a little more rainfall it may not last quite quite as long but the uh, you know the application of rest and recovery still has that same type of effect where the more rest and recovery we can you know we can uh, provide to a pasture uh, the more you know the, the more rainfall that we can actively receive, and have more effective rainfall when it does come. Yeah, yeah so, I think I think you. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Jason. Yeah. I was just gonna say I think I think Hugh makes a, a very good point there. It's um, making the most of every drop of rain that hits the ground, and um, that's kind of been our approach. And some of the changes we've made within our management that's that's our end goal. We want to be, we want. A, a half inch rainfall across the landscape to be as efficient as as it can be and, and capture every drop rather than it running off and going elsewhere so so I think Jay, i was just going to say you know one of the things that that people are, are having the misnomer is that when it gets dry we need to just open all the gates and just let the cow get what they can get but right. actually that's the worst thing we could do you know if you can control them and maintain as much residual as possible. You're going to have a, you're going to be much more responsive across your landscape when the rain does occur. Yeah, Chase. What are the you know some of the key things that you're looking at you know across the landscape or even maybe your cattle? You know, what are those monitoring triggers that's you know that you really look at preparing for you know these these extreme weather events. Well, one of the things, you know, we just, just discussed this actually is we weren't, I don't know that we were maximizing um, our rainfall events and getting the most out of them, you know, as we just discussed and, you know, kind of the mentality we have taken now is we want to, the South Texas is a very unique environment. You both know this. It can be extremely, extremely productive when you have moisture. And so, it's it's a very productive environment. You can grow a lot of vegetation. It's it's a very diverse environment, and so we have kind of taken on the mentality that listen, we we can't at this point. You know, our our goal is to get there. We can't rest every single acre, um, three hundred and fifty plus days. It just logistically, it just doesn't work out like that. Um, and so, what well, you know, our approach is we want to stockpile enough forage in these paddocks so that if we do need to come through as let's just use paddock 
X, for example, if we want to come through paddock X, um, we want to we want to stockpile enough for it to be able to go through there twice, essentially, with the main cow herd. And you know, I'll give an example of what we call the goat trap. So it's 740 acre trap. We've divided that into to several numerous paddocks. And I only can tell you all this because it's fresh on my mind, but you know, I'll just use paddock. Uh, well, I'll use the Northwest paddock in that pasture. So in two years, <clears throat> we have been in that Northwest paddock uh, three different times. So we've actually been through it um, three different rotations on that paddock, but we've only been in that paddock for a total of eight days in, in two years. So, you know, it's rested for gosh, what 700 it's, it's been grazed for eight days and it's rested for 722 days, roughly, right. or sorry. Yeah. So 700. Yeah. So, and that's, that's, you know, been our approach. We want to, and we can go back through it now, to be honest with you, if it doesn't rain till March. And so that's been our approach and is we've, we're trying to manage and, and keep these cattle on the move in a way that we're able to go through some of these paddocks more than once over the course of, two years and what we're seeing is we're getting a lot more animal impact across the landscape now on these smaller paddocks and getting more litter on the ground as you referred to that residual matter um, and we're just getting a lot more use out of our rainfall we have several tanks now that we're worried about um, going dry because we're not getting yeah. We're not getting the runoff we historically got in some of these areas. So, you know, it provides a different issue then. All of a sudden, no, I've seen that number, number of cases, Chase, and we, it, it's a, just another trigger to another. And we issue. don't really, we don't really, I, you know, you were trying to, you were referring to what are, what are some trigger points? We, we, our approach down here, because drought is so much of what we do and so much a part of our environment, we, we've shifted our, our focus and mentality now to where we are. It's just, we're constantly, I don't know that we necessarily have trigger points now. We're just constantly in drought preparation mode, regardless of how, how much rain we, we have received, because it's inevitable. It's coming. And, um, we, we're just trying to be more prepared for, uh, although we're in one now, it's, we're just trying to be more prepared moving forward well, for the, the next one. And that you're really so it's, watching yeah. is cover, right? You're, I mean, that's what you're focused on is cover and uh, being able to capture. Yeah, we want to try to leave as much. Yeah. Yeah, we want to try to leave as much cover behind. We want to capture because, you know, we don't, <clears throat> historically our rainfall, our average and, you go back to what he was talking about earlier. I think, you know, average rainfall is a meaningless number at this point, but because we haven't had an average year now in 15 years. And so um, we, we just want, you know, average, our average is around 20 inches. You know, if we can get, and I tell everybody this, if I could get 10 to 12 inches consistently across the, across the, across the year, we can manage for that. And, um, would be just fine with that and so we just want to be able to maximize those 10 inches or those 12 inches and so something I don't think we were doing before you know I, and I don't we're not 
we are by no means where we need to be. We're making progress, but but I do feel like we are we're carrying more cover now through these droughts. And so when it does rain, you know, the old saying, prepare the land for when it does rain. And so we're, we're getting more out of these, these rainfall events than we were historically. And I look back, I was talking to, to Mr. Fitzsimmons about this, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and I was going through some old photo points and was looking at some of those areas in the, out on the ranch. And I was just like, man, we are with about the same rainfall. We had about the same rainfall in 2020 as we did in 21. But I go back to some of these areas where we have photo points set up. Um, and I look at the pictures I took last year this time. And we have five, six, seven times the amount of forage in those same areas that we did last year. And so I feel better now about when it does rain, we'll be able to capture um, capture that moisture and, and, and make the most use of it. So to your point, that's that's probably our biggest, um, you know, keeping the soil, that's probably our biggest trigger point, if you will. Keeping, we want to keep the soil covered. That's our main objective. Keep as much residual matter on the ground. And so we capture, you know, every drop of rainfall, so. Yeah, and you answered kind of my question, I think, Chase, and, and one of the key things, right, in the monitoring aspect is you're doing photo points, you're, 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 you're kind of, you know, you set a baseline and you're looking from it, you know, and seeing the, the trends and where you're heading. And um, Yeah, and so, it's, you know, I always tell people it's, we don't, I don't, I don't have, while I would love to, I don't have the time necessarily to go out and run line sure. transects and Dobbin Meyer frames, but, you know, for us and these photo points have always, you know, the old saying of photos worth a thousand words. It's uh, they've been very helpful for us in a lot of different ways. And so we have, I don't even, I can't even tell you how many photo points we have now scattered across the ranch, but they're efficient. You know, they tell a story, um, whether that story is good or bad, then we can make adjustments, you know, from a management standpoint. So. Right. Well, that's, that's one of the things that is probably underutilized and it's probably the simplest tool and this day, when everybody's carrying a cell phone, you don't have a reason not, not to be capturing those pictures. But uh, you're exactly right. You know, that picture is, is can tell you a whole lot about your history, and, that, and then you don't have to rely on your memory. Q, you don't want to you, you want to add a little bit, you know, kind of what you're dealing with and, you know, from a management perspective and, and what you're visiting with other landowners or land managers really on you know, some of the decisions uh, that they can make to help, you know, their operation to navigate through these, you know, conditions. Well, and one of the things that, that is probably a little more applicable to our, our producers up here is that, you know, we do have, a, in general, a more consistent rainfall pattern, although they're not as consistent as they have been. But as we move through the year, one of the tools I like to use is, this, is monitoring my water year. Uh, if you go from October 1 to uh, uh, spring, we typically know that, that that's going to be a time of recharge if we get any moisture at all. And if you look at your, your, your monthly rainfall patterns, you can get a pretty good idea about how much moisture you expect to occur during, during those, those what we call recharge months. And, and in our part of the country, you'd expect it to be about 40, 45% of your annual, annual rainfall to come during that period of time. If you don't have that, you know you're behind going into the spring. So you expect spring to be a little bit slower. So you really got to be paying attention. And when you get into April, May, and June, that next quarter, that's when we're expecting to get our, 
our, our, our moisture that'll carry us through the year, or the entire growing season for the, you know, for all practical purposes. So by the time we get into uh, May, end of May, I expect to have about 30% of my annual forage production to have accrued, you know, 25 to 30%. By the time I get to end of June, I expect it to be 60, 65%. And it almost corresponds with your moisture for the year, just going to lag just a, a hair behind when you get to that, that June period. Uh, so I'm watching really close. If I know that my variance from my, my normal is behind uh, come May by, let's say, 10, 15 percentage points, that's a pretty good safe value that you need to be preparing to destock by that amount if it continues to own that, on that, on that dry trend. Last year is a good example. April, we didn't get any rain. I was pulling out the drought plan. You know, we know which cattle were going to be uh, marketed uh, the quickest because uh, truth is everybody kind of has spring fever in the spring. So you might as well identify the animals that need to be marketed during that period of time uh, and make them available for someone to take to advantage of cattle. Yeah, take advantage of the markets yeah. in that spring season. Even if it doesn't rain a whole lot, you typically going to have a little bit of spring moisture like we saw in 2011. Uh, so that's one of the ways that, that we were getting prepared for, for what we we're seeing again <laughs> this winter. Uh, but then in May, we got, um, uh, you know, 50% more rainfall than we normally would expect, and it pulled us through. And then we had those consistently consistent timely rains. So being able to monitor your rainfall, comparing it to the, uh, your water year as you're going into the spring, then paying really close attention in the spring, how the, you know how you're re either recovering or how much ahead you might be. And then having the, your con contingency plans, especially if it means moving cattle or uh, to a different location or trying to, uh, to market some cattle, already identify what that plan is going to look like so that the decision is a whole lot easier. Uh, that's, that's one of the keys to have that contingency plan in place prior to it getting there. Otherwise, you may find yourself into that dilemma of, you know, what, you know, what's the best decision because then by the time that others are beginning to see the, the mar see the rain conditions and the markets respond, well, uh, you're in the same boat as everybody else. Yeah. It brings back bad memories. Al Joe of you know in that 2000, 2011 and we had those you know folks we we're working with that didn't have the contingency plan wanted to hold those cattle right and then got to that extreme right and then they need to sell well everybody else is selling and the market's down then and then we would see those guys that would sell you know 30 head utilize that money to buy more hay mm -hmm. they'd eat up that capital and by the end they didn't have any cattle and they ate up their capital uh, and then when we started getting rains and, uh, you know, they didn't have the capital to get back in the game at the time. Oh, I do. Yeah. You, you know, when, when everybody's selling, the prices are low and when everyone's buying, the prices go high. So you're on the wrong end of the, either way. Well, you know, by identifying earlier, you know, you know, know as well as I do, the producers that, that made, you know, took action early, oh. uh, some completely destocked, some of them destocked significantly. They all made it through better than they ever had. And, and many of them. Uh, the, the best financial years than, that they've, they've ever had in, in uh, you know, 20, 30 years of, of ranching up to that point in time. And I think that just goes, goes, to, uh, goes to show that if we plan for the worst and then act in a timely manner, we're always going to be better ahead, certainly financially, and then I, we know on our land resource that we will be 
than you will if you wait and just try to ride it out. You know, uh, we, we, you can always get back in at a later date, but you can't. The timing of the sale right up front is really critical to see what your position is going to be financially uh, after that sale is just due on timing. You want to be ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I mean, you're basically putting through what Chase is doing, right? You're building that resiliency in the landscape. That, uh, yeah, that's, and that's kind of been, and that's kind of been our motto is we've, you know, you plan, 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 plan for the bad days and then the good days are even better. So, <laughs> well, and, and I think you know, the other thing Chase has done is they implemented a lot more fencing. And I don't know if it's permanent or, or semi permanent, but uh, we also saw the producers that were able to, that, that had more pastures that they were managing through, had more subdivisions, could do a better job of determining the reserve herd days in front of them. They were always managing ahead, knowing that, you know, you've got to get to that next uh, moisture event. In fact, you've got to be 30 days past that moisture event. And those that have more uh, ability to, to manage their, their grazing and grazing animals, well, they, they, they tend to manage their, their drought as well, much better as well. Yeah, and I, I think you make a, a really good point there, Hugh. Um, it's, you know, we can be in a drought and it rains on June 1st. Well, that doesn't mean June 2nd, you have plenty of grass. So there's a, there's a lag period there that you have to compensate for as well. Yeah. You know, we've kind of really focused, I think, uh, you know, a lot around the operational side of this drought. And, uh, but we know that the drought trickles, you know, down to other enterprises or other aspects of our, of our ecosystem that we're managing. Um, more kind of focused, you know, that I'm kind of thinking about as a wildlife and, and Chase, I know, you know, wildlife enterprise and is, is crucial in a, in, a, in a big part of the San Pedro. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that, that you pay attention to or can share with others uh, from that aspect? Yes, Chad, so the big, you know, one of the biggest things we've done is, so we, we, we take a very, or we try to take a very holistic approach here. You know, the wildlife, as you just mentioned, uh, from an economic standpoint, are important to us, uh, and so are our cattle. I, I would say they're equally important, and have, you know, when you look at the look at the books at the end of the year, they're 50, 50, 55, 45. It just kind of depends on the year. So they're both very important to us from an economic standpoint, and so. You know, one of the things we've learned over time is you, you can't focus when you're when you're trying to manage holistically, you can't focus too much on one aspect because then there's unintended consequences on the other. And so, you know, we want I'll just give you our our deer, our deer population, for instance, we we take and not everybody will agree with this, but in our case, this is it works because, you know, cattle are important to us, but so are wildlife. And so, you know, we, we try to carry a very. Um, a very low deer density relative to most, which has paid huge dividends for us. And it's, you know, our, our, our deer really haven't been impacted that much. Um, we're carrying more ground cover now. And so our, our hope is that that will trickle down, as you just mentioned, into, um, you know, quail having more cover. A lot of these um, 
a lot of these ground nesting birds that winter here, things of that nature. One of the things we did see this year, which we historically we we typically have a, a pretty good a pretty good monarch um, migration in the fall, and it was it was not near as good as it has been, and, and we think we feel that was probably a function of the drought. You know, our riparian zones there were there was we did have a migration there to some extent, but you know historically here we usually have a pretty good monarch migration and and that didn't happen this year and we feel we feel that was there was just there was just not much here for for, for the for the monarchs to to hang around too long and so but you know we feel that that from a wildlife standpoint we, we haven't been impacted um near as much as, as one would think but I, I think that goes back um to that just being a function of managing the system as a whole understanding that you know that the mother cow she's not the only one using the landscape and, and that that you know white-tailed deer doe is not the only one using the landscape so it's all about understanding that you know everything we do from a management standpoint across the landscape um is impacting um everything from a you know texas tortoise all the way up to to the white-tailed deer and so we just try to take a very holistic approach on everything and every decision we make whether it's wildlife or or cattle related you know we we try to factor in how is that decision going to impact the other positively or negatively so yeah yeah i think that's key man you're taking a holistic approach and managing at a system you know level and 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 it's paying off for you anything to add Hugh, and it's Go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's tough. You, you, you both know this very, very well. It's um, when you're managing a an ecosystem. It's there's a lot of variables there that that, that tend to not be in your favor, and so it uh, it can be a bit discouraging at times. But but there's a lot of things as as you have stated that that, that you can do to be to be better prepared. And um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think in what we're starting to see here and by all means we have a long way to go and we learn something new every day and it's interesting the more we start to to think we understand the less we realize how much we know but it um i do feel a little bit more confident now that our our preparation is is will become more exponential in a good way over time for these you know over the next 15 20 years for these these droughts so you know, I think that some of the things that we see, you know, in this part of the world is that uh, as the droughts hit, you know, the, the, the wildlife are impacted as well. I mean, in, a, in within most, you know, natural ecosystems, you, know, you would expect that. You know, good times, there's, there's always abundance. And then in times when when it's uh, unfavorable, then typically the the populations are going to uh, uh, going to moderate as well. But uh, I think it's back to some of the things that, that, that have already been communicated, but the, you know, the more resiliency we can build back in, the, in our systems, you know, if you're managing for the entire ecosystem and, and uh, you know, Chase, you know, through that holistic type management, where you're looking at the good for of all organisms from the monarchs to the, the, the quail, the turkey, the deer, and, and, and the other organisms, what's typically what's good for the wildlife are gonna be good for the, for the livestock as well. So we're working with those in unison 
uh, I think makes a big difference in being able to maintain that that those ecosystems in as as, as pristine a state as you can, even in these dry conditions, are going to allow those populations to rebound that much quicker too. Yeah, I think all good points. As a, as they say, if it's good for the bird, it's good for the herd, right? <laughs> I like that. I had heard that, <laughs> Chad. That's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, um, is there any kind of key resources that you know either one of you may use or or recommend to other other land managers? So the one the ones that that I Go guess ahead, that, that come to mind is. You know the, the drought monitor this time of year. You know any of these 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 weather and, and climate uh, tools that you have available to you in your local region. You know just being constantly aware of what the you know what's going on there. Uh, keep your own records. I mean, there's nothing more important than having your own records to compare to. Even if you're looking at comparison of long-term trends, you want to know what your trends are. So I, I really appreciate hearing what. What Chase is doing with having so many rain gauges across his big ranches because it does it changes from from place to place even in a relatively small geographic area. But when you're looking at thousands and ten, tens of thousands of acres, you need to know you know what's going on where. Uh, you know the Grazing Lands Coalition, the NRCS Extension has uh, uh, you know has some information out there that could be extremely useful. Noble has some on their website. We're getting you know we're pulling up our, our drought. A website uh, as well, just so that we, you know, people have some resources to them, and then continually visiting with uh, uh, your your different folks that, that are in the know that get out and see things, things uh, you know, like you know, like yourself, Chad, and and uh, that see a lot of places, know where uh, the droughts most extreme, where it's less extreme, just the connect the connections and networking make a big big difference. So uh, be talking with your neighbors and the people that you know that that are talking with other people across the industry. Yeah, and I think Hugh did a good job talking about some of these organizations that can help you out. And I just want to reiterate what he said is, you know, keep keeping your own records, understanding, um, understanding, you know, your, your ranch and, and what you're doing, what your goals and objectives are. It's, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what we're doing here, you know, at, at the San Pedro and, what someone is doing, you know, 40 miles to our east may be different. And so it's just understanding that, you know, piece of dirt, you, if, if you will, that you're, that you're working with. And, you know, I think it's, you mentioned on this, it's, there's, there's a lot of folks that have been old timers, if you will, that have been through this and um, more times than, than we have. And so, you know, using those resources and, and, um, record keeping is extremely important in our, in our opinion. And, and it's, and, and I think learning from your mistakes, you know, don't be afraid to, we've made more mistakes than we've made, than, than we've done good things. And so it's, um, it's understanding, you know, what you did previously that didn't work and, and how do you address that and, and, and better manage for it moving forward. And I think, yeah, I, think I just say one other thing that if you may not be, you not may not be one to, to use it or want to use it, various reasons but the usda risk management agencies uh pasture and rangeland and forage programs just talking with the guys that uh are are you know representing those those different entities they have really good rainfall records and they also are, are tracking it for over a long longer periods of time so just being in the know whether you use them or not 
they're they're in the business to 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 study that. So that's another good resource to track. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good another good point. And I think, you know, Chase, I think you made a really good point in that. And you know, and, I've, and we've all had friends and and Chase, you're in it right it, right now, and and have been. Is that a lot of times it gets hard, right? When when we're managing. And we get in these really extreme droughts and, and you just think like, we'll never get out of it. And there will be that time you just sort of, you know, you're, you hit that brick wall, but to know that you're not in it alone, right? There's a lot of, like you said, neighbors and friends and that have been in the situation that can help. And I, I think that's a, another key point. And, you know, on that, I appreciate both of you joining us today. I, I learned a lot just talking through this and, and, um, uh, and appreciate both of you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to yeah, no. visit. Yeah, likewise. I, I, it was a, it was a pleasure to to be on with both of you all. And um, Hugh, I wish you the best up there. Well, I'm saying same to you, and and I know that if you get the moisture, typically I will too. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> hoping to praying you get yours first, and I'll, I'll take whatever's left over. <laughs> Likewise, likewise. Well, listen, thank you both for, for everything you all do and the impact y'all y'all have across Oklahoma and Texas. So yeah, thank you, Chad, for, for having these podcasts. These these are uh just one of these tools that we have to open and available to producers. And I appreciate you leading the charge on trying to keep communication lines open. Well, I mean, as you mentioned, uh timely decisions are, you know, is what makes a success. And uh, hopefully this is a a, definitely a timely uh, topic and discussion, and hopefully we can help some other land managers across across the across the land uh, make them better, make and, and help empower them. So, lastly, I just want to you know remind our listeners to rate and review our podcast to help spread the word about our working lands and conservation. And uh, have a blessed one till till next time. Thank you. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.